to another episode of Not Your Average Operator. Sitting here with me, uh, Paul Mellon McFadden, and I've got uh, my two boys. I've got uh, Raf and Mike. How are you doing there, Mike? Hey, dude. What's going on? Pretty good. Uh, lots of good news coming out. Uh, my bans as far as like travel and going out and stuff got lifted. So uh, the military decided to give me my big boy pants back so I can go out and, uh, you know, enjoy a frothy and uh, not have to worry about getting reprimanded. So I'm pretty happy. Well, good for you. I'm, I'm assuming that's solo trips only because you don't have friends. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a challenge. You know, most of them are just uh, you know I make them up or pretend I'm talking to them on the phone. But uh, I try to do what <laughs> I can, dude. How about you, Raf? How you going, man? I'm good, man. I I got even better news. I actually have my tickets to head home. I'm working overseas, obviously. For some of us, some of you guys that follow me or us, and. Uh, Got the tickets home, man. So I'll be home pretty soon, and uh, looking forward to that. Obviously, being back at the being back on the property with the with my sugar mama, and my son. Oh, that's great news. So. That's great news, man. Orbs and uh, the bean must be. Well, the beans probably doesn't know yet, but Orbs must be <laughs> super excited. The bean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we do tend to, you know, we try to get as much as we can every day. Try to FaceTime, and uh, his new thing has recently has been. As soon as I call, you know, he smiles and he's talking all that baby gibberish. So he's trying and we just don't know what he's saying. But he'll usually <laughs> take the phone and just runs it off around the house like just like a madman. So it's uh, so the view for me recently has been his face like, you know, up and down, up and down, blurry, like just running all over and him just talking to me. It's actually kind of funny. Yeah, that's nice. My kids did that with uh, one of the dogs. They got the phone attached to the back of the dog once and seen the world from like, one foot off the ground is a whole nother world, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It's funny. It's funny you say that because I remember he was near the kitchen and I was like, that's interesting that that's how he sees the world, like by the island, right? It's like looking up and I don't yeah, know. I just, it right. was kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a, uh, we had a really nice, uh, a long weekend out here. So just like a whole bunch of family time down the pool lagoon, a bunch of families around and, uh, yeah, it's been it's been really nice, nice little break uh, from some of the stress. All right, so uh, the you've probably seen the show notes. It's a bit of a different uh, topic for us tonight. We're going to be uh, starting to push out a few episodes, hopefully, where we can you know try and impart a little bit of knowledge and uh, cause conversations around some of the stuff related more to sort of what we do professionally, and and hopefully you guys can pick up a few pointers on. Uh, things that have worked for us and you guys might be able to apply it in your work bit, military or civilian and sporting teams and so on. And so today we're going to be uh, covering a bit of mission preparation. So covering the phase from a task coming in up until the actual mission brief, which for us in a military uh, situation we're very familiar with, but it's going to be the same for uh, teams going out to achieve uh, mission goals in business and same for a, uh, a sporting team. So now we're going to kick off first here with Raf. Raf, mission prep. How's that work for yeah, you? Yeah, thanks, Melon. Yeah, I appreciate it. So I'm kind of going back uh, to my Blackhawk days where obviously everything was mission driven, especially towards the customer. 
Uh, and we, without getting too deep into it, we know that this is a massive, massive topic, right? Uh, how to prep for mission, how to prep for uh, an endeavor outside in business. Um, really, just even in your own personal life, if there's some sort of massive goal that you're trying to achieve, um, you know, there's going to be steps along the way that uh, you're going to have to do. So the, the, trend, the trend that I've always kind of similarly followed, and uh, this is just for my own personal thing, I've always noticed whenever I was prepping for any sort of mission, whether it was overseas supporting guys like Mike or um, whatever, what have you, it always came down to three basic kind of um, overlying themes. So the first one was always, I, I immediately, and that just, when I say me, I mean the, the, the men and women that I served with, right? It's not just me, it was a collective me. But we would immediately look at what the customer needs were. That was always priority, right? So if I'm working with, and obviously a lot of you guys know that I did work with Mike. So whatever Mike's needs were on the ground, that absolutely drove whatever we were going to do with our helicopters, with our capabilities. You know, so a simple question would be, you know, no, no matter what Mike would tell us, like, hey, I need you guys to, you know, take us to this location or to fly us at this time at night or with this, you know, uh, whatever it is. The first question I immediately asked myself was, is this inside my wheelhouse or is it, is it outside my wheelhouse? Meaning, do I need to go hit the books real quick and try to figure out, uh, something very specific because he's asked me to fly a helicopter in a way that I've maybe never done it before. Um, or is this something that I've done a thousand times and it's a no brainer and it's, it's almost muscle memory. Right. And this is really, really, really important because this can be success or failure or, or in the business world, this could come out to um, maybe not looking as, as good as your capability is. And so that's something to really, really keep in the back of your mind. Is this inside my wheelhouse? Is this outside my wheelhouse? The second thing that I think is just as important and just as critical is your communication plan. Is it robust? Is it, is it bulletproof? Now, nothing is bulletproof. But what I mean by that is what kind of relationship do I already have with the people that I'm serving uh, and serving along, right? Is there a re meaning, do we have a continuous feedback loop? Um, if, if there's any questions, does Mike have, not only does he have the ability, but does he feel like, we have a relationship where he can call me at any time of the day, right? Or any time of the night. Hey, Raph, I have a question. I know you guys say you can carry these many guys. We're thinking about taking an interpreter with us. Do you think you have room? You know, does, do you have the capability to get off the ground or to put us on top of that mountaintop? You know, given that it's 12,000 feet, it's going to be daytime, you know, whatever. It's just, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. The point I'm trying to say is communication is absolutely massive and it's critical. At today's, you know, technology capabilities obviously we have email we have social media we have text messaging we have phone calls but nothing and i mean nothing is ever beat person on person right it's especially the mo the more important anything is that like the more critical it becomes it probably points to the fact that you probably should do that communication piece in person and not just the one time more than likely you're going to have to talk to each other multiple to multiple times so uh make it make it a habit to try to to try to keep a time open, even if it's not on your scheduler, maybe do it in the back of your head. Like, okay, so once I read this, once I read whatever Mike needs, I'm going to go kind of assess what, what I'm going to be able to provide him, whether it's number of helicopters, capability, whatever. And then I'm going to just give him a heads up. Hey man, when are you going to have lunch? Cause I, I want to sit down with you and maybe talk this piece offline. 
right? And that, those moments have been so critical for me in my career flying Blackhawks. Uh, I, can't, I can't underscore just how important that personal relationship, that, that personal conversation where I get to kind of hear him deliver his needs and his attitude and his emotion towards what we're about to go do. Um, so that it just gives me a better feel. And then I would say the last piece in pre preparation for any mission is what I call getting back to the basics, but inside the basics in, in that world specifically is contingencies, right? Because it doesn't matter how good of a plan we have. And Mike, please, by all means, jump into this because I know, I know that I'm preaching to the choir. You, you, you prepare a mission um, down to a gnat's ass, with, but in the back of your mind, you know that the enemy gets a vote and, you know, in the business world that the enemy is everybody because you have like a thousand variables that are going to come up against you. Right. Um, so you, you plan this down to an ad's ass, but in the back of your mind, you're like, I'm probably going to have to fall back to contingencies. Right. And for just to speak helicopter assault world here, that means maybe Mike needs 10 dudes on the objective to get the job done. Right. Maybe that means two Blackhawks. Okay, well, one might have mechanical issues, one might get shot up, one might, maybe the crew doesn't feel right. Maybe there's a pilot on board who gets sick the last second, who's just, maybe he, one of the pilots or one of the crew members got a Dear John letter through the mail. You know, you, you just don't, don't know. So the contingency is like, all right, I have two extra running spares, I have an extra crew standing by, um, you know, we're taking phys phys physiological uh, considerations into account. I mean, literally, and that's where you put all your energy. Mike, go ahead. So, so as you're getting into that, exactly right. Contingencies is the biggest, biggest piece. I would say is that's what you need to really focus on um, through all phases. So, for, for me, there's five total phases that we go on. But just in the beginning of like, hey, if I was to go and ask Raf, hey, I need two Blackhawks. Like, uh, ideally, that's what I want for this mission. Perfect world. But what is the bare minimum load plan that I can still do and execute and finish this mission? So can I do it with 10 dudes? Yes, but I want to do it with 15 to 20, you know, because just more guns online, whatever it might be. Um, that's called a bump plan. So if an aircraft goes down, say example, like he said, for any reason, hey, Blackhawk just went offline. You only have one now. What's the bump plan? Bump plan is just say, hey, you guys, you're off. You guys are essential. You guys are on, and we're still continuing mission to go. Now, if that Blackhawk goes or weather or whatever might comes up, the target changes, and we, we can't launch, then it's just like, okay, shut everything down. We're going to reassess and then go back to the planning part and see if it's still viable. But, yeah, exactly what you're saying, man. Contingencies just from the, from the get-go, you got to have your mind in there. Yeah. And just to wrap up contingencies uh, on my end, I would, so in our, we had a, a what we call a tax op, a tactical uh, standardization operating procedures. Um, so I had, you know, every aviator in, in the army world has a tax op. And in that tax op, we have, you know, basic contingencies. If you fly into weather, if, you know, bump plans, it just, the list goes on and on. And that, believe it or not, whenever I prepared for a mission, that's the one, that's the one piece of paper outside of like an op order, which is basically like our, our mission that came down the chute to support guys like Mike, that tax up and those contingencies was literally what I would sit down and not to be, you know, gross, but you know, when I'm sitting in the John for 10 minutes, I'm literally just, I've reviewed this, this, these, these uh, pages uh, thousands of times, thousands of times. I'm eating a meal. I'm getting dressed. I'm sitting at the John. 
I have that tax up in my hand, that tax up in my hand, and I'm literally reading over contingencies and I'm making mental notes how that, how that specifically affects what Mike is asking me to do. Uh, and again, translate that into the business world. Your contingencies are, are, could be, you know, X, Y, Z. You're going to identify them. And I would literally say that's that 20% that affects 80% of your, of what you're trying to accomplish. And I mean, you know, plus or minus a couple degrees. I'll, I'll, that's something I'll, I'll put my money on every time because that's what I've seen over, you know, 15 years of flying assault helicopters. Right. Those, uh, those tax op, tax SOP, uh, your basic contingencies, are they like pre-written, uh, pre-planned, effectively sort of like getting into the realm of emergency handling, but an emission type role? How does that break out? Yeah. So it, an example is, uh, it, a contingency would be obviously you plan to fly visual flight rules, which means there shouldn't be a cloud in the sky. Or if you're flying at night, you're flying under night vision goggles and there's really no reason to use your instrumentation along as you're flying in route with Mike in the back and, and, you know, precious cargo, you come across a snowstorm, which believe it or not happened to us in Afghanistan. You know, we're flying a, a flight of three or four and we kind of run into this nasty storm as we're flying towards Kandahar so the contingency is you have to do a, an IMC break, right? So whoever basically loses contact of the helicopter in front of them has to turn a specific degree uh, times the chalk number. Chalk is the name of the number of helicopters we have. So if you're chalk three, you would do, you know, three times uh, whatever, 20 degrees, 10 degrees. So you turn that direction, that many degrees off to the open side, meaning away from your sister ships. And then basically everyone that can see you behind, behind you follows you along. And now you're, in, you're the new chalk lead for that chalk that just broke off until you guys come clear of the clouds or whatever is obscuring your visibility. And then, you, and then following that, there's a link-up procedure, right? And these are all your, and you're expected, you're expected as, a, as a pilot to know these. I mean, without question, without, you shouldn't, while you're doing this, you shouldn't be pulling out the tax on be like, oh, what is, what is the procedure now? You know, you're in the middle of the clouds. You've got 12 shooters with beards in the back. Like, no, man, they're, they're relying on you to get them to, to that, that doorstep, right? Or wherever it is that you need to be. That's not the time to break out the tax up. So that was something that I, I mean, literally before any mission, I would break it out and I would just start perusing it. So there was zero question on what I had to do. So already there's a lot of information getting thrown out there and it's it's a lot right so everybody that thinks that these missions and stuff just oh yeah hey they you just jump in a helicopter and go and you just fly to one location no there's so many different moving pieces in between as you can hear one of the things and raf already touched about it so when he rolled in i was used to using task force 160th which is the special operations uh, aviation regiment raf came in he was part of conventional army and flew Blackhawks. That's all I knew about these guys. I didn't know their capabilities, like what they were trained on, anything. So going back and reassessing exactly, you know, what's in the wheelhouse all the way down. Can they even deal with the contingencies that we have to deal with on target with what's going on with our mission? You know, it could be if we take a casualty, do we have medevac available? Do they have chase aircraft, which are armed Blackhawks that follow in the medevac helicopter? Um, what what can and cannot we do, you know, with these guys and realizing who you are, what your capability is, and then finding a, some, some space in the middle to meet up and be like, okay, this is what we can do. And then start moving on from there. So, um, stick with us. This is a lot of information. And like you said, there's so much to go here, but we're just covering the wave tops to give you guys a really good idea about what goes into this. 
Yeah. And then just to wrap up my little uh, spiel here is, and I just thought about this, Mike, when you said this, don't be afraid. Now in our community, especially where everyone's alpha male, alpha female, and you're all about getting the mission done. Don't for a second be afraid to say, Hey, we can't do this in, in this manner. Right? Like I, I get it, man. You want me to put 12 dudes on target right now physically we're so stretched out because we're supporting so many other units i could only give you you know whatever i can only offer this service like uh because the sooner that you can say that then the quicker you're going to be able to come up with an alternate means of delivering that product right so don't be like just because you just because you say hey i don't know if i can do this it doesn't mean that you're that you're automatically going to be like you know titled as terrible at your job it's if anything it's it's if you really truly understand your capability and you understand what your customer wants and you're trying to deliver the best possible product by you saying, Hey man, I can't do it in the way that you want me to, but I've thought about it. I think I can deliver these other things by these alternate means. Let me see if I can get my hands on them. That just shows the customer that you actually put some real thought into it. And not only that, you've, you've showed up with empathy. You've put yourself in that person's shoes and you're trying to see it in that person's field of view. And that's massive. Go ahead, Mike. Just to add on to it, Raph, so everybody really thinks about this, and I know you already kind of can, can think about this. If you say, yes, we can do something in the business world, and then you don't know how to do it the right way, or you can't give a good product, or you, you're just not 100%, and you just kind of go in and winging it or half-assing it, you could lose you know, whatever it might be. You might lose a sale. You might lose tons of thousands, millions of dollars, whatever you're into, or you might lose your job, you know, but you're still going to be able to wake up the next day and keep going. If we mess up one big phase of this and we don't cover down and one person isn't good on their contingencies or like, Hey, rules of engagement, whatever it might be, people are, people are getting killed. Like you're not going home. You know, we always, everything that we're talking about right now, we always say everything that we talk about has been learned in blood because somebody has died because it's been done wrong. Um, so just keep that in the back of your head, like the type of pressure that, you know, goes on and, and our types of communities in our heads. But at the same time, like this is, uh, this is, this is the challenge, you know, it's not being Mr. Cool pilot. It's not being Mr. Cool special operator. This is the challenge of figuring out how to go about this and work with some of the best people in the world to accomplish an arduous task. Yeah. Excellent piece there, uh, Mike, with uh, the clarity there. I'm going to uh, jump in now then. So very similar sort of role to or sort of a, a prep cycle, I reckon, to, to RAF. Getting that, that, that last piece is really good. Getting that clarity around your capability versus a customer need. And if you have a mismatch there, it's going to be the same business. If you're trying to take on too much or conversely, you're taking on too little and you're not going to deliver to your capability, that, that whole matchup of capability versus uh, customer requirements, super important. And uh, we would get that, we'd break out an overall uh, task would come down to us. They use a, an air tasking order, and that would be a big coordination uh, piece that would go out to all of the units in an area. This is, we're talking about a, a surveillance uh, uh, mission for me. And that'd, that'd cover off the units you're working with, it'd cover off the areas, the targets, uh, and the timings. And you'd, you'd get a whole coordination piece, of, very similar to what Ref's talking about here. And so you're getting those customer needs first and you're matching your asset to task. 
from there, there'd be a, a bunch of uh, planning for me as the uh, mission commander with a uh, departure and RTB plan. So a departure out from the airbase we're operating at and how we're going to get back home again. And then a, a route planning piece. And you need to start clearly with your targets. And again, you might have 20, 30, 40 targets that we'd be working on, on a, uh, which are going to a large aircraft with a, a lot of fuel and a lot of endurance. But how many of those things are going to be able to work through and, get, and getting a priority list breakout? So you're going to cover off the essential ones. And then there'll be some secondary or tertiary targets that are going to be, uh, you'll get to them if you can. And then uh, coordinating your timings with the customer units. And uh, as Raf said there, like getting comms plans to those guys so that you can have the, the formal lines of communication reinforced with the informal and nothing beats that uh, person to person. When we were doing this, it wasn't uh, on the same base though. So we were, we were literally transiting uh, like over probably 800 miles, 1,000 miles to go work with these guys. So it'd be a SATCOM hookup and there'd be online uh, comms as well, which, which would be basically the same in the business world. You don't need the face-to-face. The face-to-face would help, but it's not essential. And uh, yeah, we, we would cover off a whole lot of the same sort of stuff you guys did. So chain of command, the, uh, like who you're working for in different areas, getting really clear on that. So who's got the mission command and uh, you know, what the primacy of the, the lines of communication are. And then exactly as Raps just, just, just covered off actions on. So we go through uh, plans, including radio failure, radio, radio plus, uh, a ground abort or an air abort. If you're gonna uh, abort on the ground, could you get a second uh, asset and cover off uh, and pick up that mission with a, with a second aircraft. Yeah, jump in, Ron. Yeah, quick question for you, mate. So since obviously the ISR world, I don't want to say you're detached because really we're just talking physical distance, but you're probably still kind of still integrated pretty good with the units. But when you did service a unit that, say, you didn't work with all the time, right? Like an, I'll just call them an outlier. Uh, what did you do to try to kind of get them closer into your familiarity like did like as far as this communication i mean was it like a phone call was it did you go out of your way to go to the like their where they lived if you could uh, if they hopefully if they shared the base with you i mean i'm because i'm just assuming like you said you you flew from base you know took off from a base came back from base but you weren't necessarily living with the guys that you were you were helping out so i'm just yeah, curious yeah. what you did to establish that kind of that conduit that robust yeah, communication piece Great question. For us, it was it was very remote. We were we were a long way away. We were all based. We we're a we we're like a four hour transit in and out uh, to go work with these guys. So we had a whole lot of the formal formal lines of communication, which was the uh, overall essential stuff. And we had our uh, intel officers who would give us briefings and updates from the units in those forward areas that we were working with. Um, there was also uh, encrypted sort of comms that we'd be able to get with those guys. And we'd always back it up in the aircraft uh, I was on. We, we had a, a SATCOM satellite communication uh, setup. So once, once we got to the aircraft and we're prepping that aircraft, getting that, getting that thing ready for takeoff, there'd always be direct comms with the customer, like even before we've, we've moved. And this would be probably T minus four and a half on the coordination now. So we're getting a, a sudden get live updates. And then all the way on the transit into the target area, we'd be, we'd be getting those continual... Uh, Situation report from the men on the ground, men and women on the ground, as to what was exactly happening as we're as we're coming in. So there'd be, off often the whole target deck could get discarded, 
a full update or change, change out or those top 10 targets, they're not at all. Now we're going to these second 10 of the ones you need. So there'd be that live update, you know, starting with a formalized uh, structure early and then it'd be getting into that direct comms. And for us, it was only a satellite communication option we had to get that uh, direct live information. And, and as you're saying, we, you couldn't beat that live information was the best, right? Because all those prior assumptions, you know, we know how fast combat or business can shift. Being able to get that live update as to exactly what the customer needs right now, uh, essential. And, and when you're working with the same guys over and over, it becomes a lot easier. But as you're saying, an outlier, so we would routinely shift, you know, several hundred kilometers or several hundred miles, say uh, from operating over Baghdad out to Fallujah or Ramadi or even further remote places and totally different units. You're working with different nationalities than expected. Yeah. So having a formalized uh, communication system that you, you go to on how you're going to engage with a customer, you know, and this could be in the business sense. And then as you work with them more routinely, it becomes, you know, you fill that thing in, you, you, you're getting some mortar in and around those bricks with that direct communication and, uh, you know, integrating with them as much as you can. Uh, and so then uh, just to finish off that piece that we, we also had a lot of the contingency work. So those, the, the actions on covering off all the emergency stuff would be the, uh, standard last piece we'd finish with and we still do that now in my uh, flight operations out here always finishing off with um emergency actions and uh ba basic uh rules very similar to your TAC SOP that you covered there raf so that uh that last piece has been covered everyone's it's fresh in everyone's mind just as you're stepping out to go on the mission on uh what you're going to do in the event of various unforeseen circumstances so you've yeah been it's a real quick uh, and I don't want to steal your time, Mike, but you just speaking about the tax up, that kind of reminds me, I read that book. It was, uh, it was uh, written by the uh, creators of uh, Sappos, the shoe company, which obviously is now, I think they were bought by Amazon or they merged with Amazon, I should say. And it, what stuck out when I read their book is, you know, they specifically had a chapter on what they would deal with, uh, how they would deal with contingencies, basically, i.e. customers not getting the shoes they wanted, customers not being happy with what the product you know, time, time, all that, et cetera, et cetera. And their contingency, believe it or not, was to give their customer service uh, associates free reign to basically do whatever needed, whatever they needed to do to basically make that customer happy. So let's say that a customer got the wrong shoe size. Not only would they respond with the appropriate shoe size, they would maybe give like a free gift certificate for like an additional pair of free shoes, right? If somebody just paid the normal standard fee, they would like the if they just had that pleasant an experience, the person that was servicing the the uh, that request would actually maybe upgrade it to like express mail at the cost of the company, right? And this whole thing generated massive, massive brand um, loyalty. I mean, like Sappos had tremendous, tremendous success, and that's anyways. I'm just I'm thinking about how contingencies in the civilian world. Obviously, they're not dealing with guns and that sort of thing, but just think about uh, how much authority you give the people that represent you. Go ahead. It, there's probably value for everyone out there. You're going to have standard sort of breakdowns that you're going to face in whatever business, military, sporting uh, organization we're referring to here. And having, you can probably hear Raf and me, you're probably going to hear the same thing from Mike in a minute, covering off those standard, fairly common 
topics, not necessarily down to the very specific detail of the individual situation, but the broad range of the breakdowns that you're going to know are the standard ones for your organization and having a, a standardized list of treatments ready and your people are familiar with. This is probably one of the key things to take out of this is this tax op or actions on or contingency planning. So there can be like real, real clear guidance given to someone. And then as Raf's just pointed out here, this, this organization was well known for having free reign for guys inside. They've got their contingency, right? That's come in. They know where to go and boom, they've got their left and right of arc, how far they can go, maybe how much money they're able to spend to fix a certain uh, size of order. And you can have that all pre-planned out and these, these actions can be taken very quickly and you, you can have your, your customers satisfied much more quickly than it was a long delayed process. All right, so over to you, uh, over to you, Mike, Mission Pro. Yeah, uh, you guys stole my time. I, and I, I totally expect you guys to pay me back. So uh, pilots love to hear themselves talk, especially when it's briefing time, just so everybody, everybody knows that. <laughs> God, okay, we get it. You're a pilot, all right? You see, you're in your flight suit, your aviators, you're inside. Nobody cares. Is there a in, pilot in the around? Yeah, in the words of Aubrey Spinoza, I literally don't care. <laughs> exactly. No, all right. So um, I want to. I just want to say this, you know, as part of this. So the perception for me as the customer, all right, the perception of special operators is that we're only doing this type of stuff or planning ten percent of the time, and then we're out kicking in doors and doing everything else ninety percent of the time. It's literally backwards. So 90% of the time is training up to that point and logistics and administration stuff, like everything that goes into it, 90% to get to that sexy 10% is what we call it, right? So for me, 18 months of training and workup and administrative stuff, whatever you can think of just to get onto deployment. And then from there, you're fighting other forces or whatever it might be to get your mission done or do it how you want to and you get selected because your 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 capability your professionalism whatever it might be um that's your 10 percent that you actually get to do so just putting that out there um going through for for from my perspective on the ground i'm a senior nco i am a tactical i'm supposed to be the tactical expert for for my unit so all of these things, I have to be in charge of planning and going through, double checking my guys. My guys might be the experts at it as if my reconnaissance guys are doing the route in or my medics or whatever, that's their piece, but I got to double check everything. So like we were talking about at the beginning is we're getting our frag order or frago, we call it. This is just saying, hey, boom, this is out on the table now, whether it's a mission in the business world, hey, this is a goal that we want to set for the month, or hey, this is the team in a sport. Like, hey, we want to, we're probably not going to make the Super Bowl, but maybe our goal is to make the playoffs this year or something, you know? So, hey, this is out there. From there, what's your timeline? How long, how long do we have to execute this? That's my first question. How long do we have to plan? How long do we have to make this happen, right? Is it 24 hours? Is it, is it a week? Is it, you know, whatever? Uh, and get your answers. Second, or I'm sorry, next part of that is your course of action. Uh, you're going through making your list of courses of action. So you're looking at your assets. So, hey, I have RAF 
and his guys available with Blackhawks. I have Mellon available with his aircraft and the things that he can do. Uh, what's my environment? Where am I going? What's the local population like? Are they sympathetic to us or do they hate us? Uh, are there mountains? What's the weather doing? Uh, <laughs> so many variables there. I won't even jump in. But at the end of it, we're going to select a course of action which best fits us. That's everybody signs on and says, yes, we can do this 100%. Not, not 90%. Yes, everybody is super comfortable. We can do this this course of action 100%. So we're going to go with that. Then we break it down by phase. I brought these up a little bit earlier, but there's five phases to a mission. You have your insert, right? So once you're getting in, you're getting on the ground or driving in whatever you're going to. Your infill is your start from your start point to right out, usually right outside of your target area. Your actions at objective. So what are you doing on that target? All right. So if you're going and clearing a house, like once you get into the house, like what are you doing? down to the individual level. And then exfil, you're leaving the target area to an area where you want to get picked up. And then your extract, okay? How are you getting out of the area? Is it is it aircraft? Are they vehicles? Are you just walking it out? Whatever it might be. So those are your five going through. Now, again, I'm trying to just hit the wave tops. There are contingencies for every single one of those phases. So you have five primary, and then you're breaking it down. There's probably three to four contingencies per phase that you have to try to remember, record, write down, whatever. Now, a lot of information is going on through this point. There's three main things that I really want to focus on as at my level as the tactical leader is what is the overall intent? What's the end state? And what's my blue force picture? The blue force picture is how many friendly units are out there where are they working next to us are they working in our vicinity are they working for us whatever whatever the the mission is going to be i want i need to know those things all right once we break it down into phases i get all my guys together they're adding in their expertise you know i'm not micromanaging i let them know hey this is your responsibility for here this this and this i let them go to work and i let them build the product and my job is to guide them not micromanage them. Um, they are very highly trained. They know what they're doing. And I want them to use that innovation. And uh, I just got to keep them in the lines that I need them to for the, that particular mission. Uh, the next part is to do rehearsals. Rehearsals for us are huge. I, I mentioned it a long time ago, but like if you get a bunch of uh, soft guys to sit in front of a PowerPoint, I mean, it's painful. I mean, I don't think anybody out there really appreciates PowerPoint, you know, no matter what it is. But whether we put tape on the ground in a hangar or we have a model drawn up, like somebody will sit there and make model out of like little foamies or like, you know, whatever it might be of the target building or a village or wherever we're going and literally do from comms drills to walking through drills, uh, everything, talking with the assets, which we will have them in our room. So asset integration is huge. I want every outside asset that's working for for me to be in that room so they know the plan inside and out, what our intent is and talk through it. And that's when, you know, Raf said face-to-face -face questions come out. Can you do this? Yes or no. And, and it gets solved. And then the last part for this is, yes, I realize that the job that I have, you know, these guys call me their customer. I'm the most important thing in 
that's their mission. There are so many misperceptions that like we go out and do all of these things on our, on our own. So we get to go do this sexy mission. We go out, you know, and, and we come back high five, you know, everybody's like, Oh dude, those guys are cool. They do this, whatever. I don't care about that. Uh, the biggest thing that I had with RAF in Af- Afghanistan was when we got back, I made friends and built relationships with everybody that supported me for that mission. The comms guys, the medics, the, the people in the chow hall that fed me in the morning, everybody had a certain role in that mission, whether they realized it or not. So I couldn't do my mission without every single one of those people doing it. Call of Duty is just, you know, <laughs> it's just, you see that and it's just, oh, you just free fall into an area and start laying, you know, laying lead. No, it's not like that. Okay. I know it's a pretty extreme example, but everybody in a supporting role, like logistically, I'll take it back to there is like 80% of logistics supports me so I can do my job. So I'm really not that special. I'm just a certain tool. Some of these other people that enable me or enablers allow me to do my job because without them, I couldn't do what I do. So as what I want to correlate that to is in the business world or in a team, don't feel like you are the pinnacle and you're like the best ever and you just did everything by yourself. Incorporate the people that are on the lower levels that are sitting behind the desk from nine to five that are taking care of your pay, that are taking care of your medical stuff, the dentist, like whatever, everybody is on that team to accomplish that mission that you just went out on. So always, always, always incorporate everybody. I jump right on there, Mike. We had a, uh, a whole base where we were operating at and we were doing our, uh, our fly missions at, uh, out in the, in the area of combat. And the base facilities, the uh, logistics guys, maintenance, the guys in the chow hall and so on, they were like working on a 24-hour routine, just absolute uh, busting a gut in their standard day-to-day stuff, like getting those engines overhauled or getting a meal ready for a couple hundred guys. They had very little visibility on what we actually were doing in our task. So this could be any business, you know, you, you've got people working in the back end, that whole business, what is the actual mission that's being achieved can become unclear and people can lose visibility on exactly what it is that they're doing. We, so we set up some briefings where we get the intelligence guys to, to brief a declassified stuff that became available to all the support personnel so that the, the engine maintenance guys or the, uh, the guys in the, the logistics hub in the mail room, they could all go and get a briefing. It was all declassified on what the missions were that we were getting done day to day so that they could get this overview of why we were totally disrupting this their night with engine starts at 2 a.m. or the guys in the chow hall that had to get in, they just finished their meal prep, uh, wash up, whatever for dinner. And they had to do a whole out of routine meal prep just for us to get uh, our aircraft loaded up with fuel and uh, food and so on and get out there. And uh, we also started a program where we were getting ones and twos of these people on, on appropriate missions to come on board, like having ride alongs. And it absolutely transformed the morale and the focus of the organization where we were working because it was, a, it was quite remote from the battlefield. And once we got these briefings underway and once we got these, I don't know, key sort of 20% of the personnel, like one guy in each work, work area had been on a mission, 
the understanding and focus and customer support that we got from the guys on our base just went through the roof. So, you know, I would just endeavor if in, in the business world, in military and sport, just remember that the people in there, uh, in, in those support roles are, are flat out. They've got a full day. They're, they're doing a 45 hour week or whatever it is. And they can lose visibility on the big picture ta uh, tasking and mission. And a bit of effort in the comms to communicate back to those people is transformative in terms of everyone understanding the goal. So exactly what you're saying there, Mike, I saw that uh, work and it, and it overhauled and shifted the whole operation for us. Yeah. <laughs> Building relationships and incorporating, letting people know, hey, what you're doing is important, like magnifies it. I can, I can gladly speak for Raf and I. I mean, he can jump in too, but the relationship that we had at our firebase in Afghanistan was amazing with the people that were there. Um, when I'd get back from a mission, I would have tons and tons and tons of extra ammo and I would go round up the support guys that did comms, medical, like whatever. And I would drive around in, in, in my ATV and tell people, hey, I have a range set aside just for you guys to come out and shoot all the cool guy guns and machine guns and concussion grenades and like whatever. And, uh, and, and then we'd also, I'd let them have a shoot off so they could have my ATV for the day to drive around because it was like the coolest vehicle, you know, <laughs> but, uh, we would shoot a Dr. Pepper can at a hundred meters with a pistol and whoever hit it, uh, got to, uh, have the ATV for the day to ride to the chow hall and be Mr. Cool guy. But they absolutely were, uh, deserving of that because I couldn't have done what I did without them. And, uh, that just built great relationships for life. I mean, that's how I met Raf. That's how I met our friend Jimmy and a, and a bunch of other people that were there. Uh, Colonel Hines that was on, he, he, he knew all about it. He was all for it. So it was, it was a great team environment. And if I could just kind of underscore, I think what both of you have just said, it's, uh, it's that it doesn't matter whether you're in the medical field or if you're a computer scientist or if you're in the military, it all comes down, everything is, in a, is a human endeavor, right? So I remember somebody told me that years ago and it's always been in the back of my head. Everything you do, doesn't matter what your profession is, it's a human endeavor. You take away the machine, you take away the systems, it's, it's all about the person or the people that are making all this stuff happen. And if I can give just a quick, I know we're at 40 minutes, if I can just go quick little framework uh, and just kind of apply this. Uh, so I, I got a master's in project management and uh, one of the case studies that I had to do had to do on total quality assurance. And they, the story that I got out of the case study was uh, there was a Ford executive who went to Japan in like the late 50s, early 60s. And at the, at the time, uh, you know, Ford was the cutting edge of automobile industry. And it was, it's, the irony is pretty thick in the story. So the story goes, this executive goes to Japan and he finds out this, that they have this concept called Kaizen. It's K-I-Z-E-N. And all it means in Japanese is it's small incremental uh, improvements, right? So their goal is not to make these massive improvements in a short period of time. It's to do small incremental improvements. And the, the way they would go about that is they would have these QA meetings, right? The quality assurance meetings. But how the Japanese did it differently was that they used people at every possible level come together in one meeting, meaning executives from every branch or every department in, in this uh, factory, they would get um, middle managers, they would get supervisors that were maybe in charge of the line, 
They'd even come down and grab the guy that literally sat down on a chair and just put bolts on a tire. They, had the, they even had the janitors, like they would choose the janitor to just come in and all these individuals at every level would come together and they would talk about if there was any improvements in their area or maybe not even their own area. Maybe they saw like maybe the guy that's sweeping would see, you know, the guy doing hydraulics. Maybe he just looked at him and thought, man, this is, there's a better way to do that as opposed to what you're doing. What came out of this was after this practice, 40, at least 40% of their improvements in these massive factories that Hyundai and, you know, a lot of uh, cutting edge uh, factories were doing in Japan, 40% of the improvements came from the low skilled worker. Think about that. It wasn't from the executive who had the MBA, who went to Ivy League schools, who spoke multiple languages. It was literally the guy that was sweeping the floor. It was the guy who was, you know, putting on bolts on a wheel. It was a low skilled worker. And so this a Ford executive was so flabbergasted and so blown away by this, by this mentality, because at the time in the United States, you know, all the decisions came from the top executives, right? It was all top down. It was all top down. And he's like, where'd you guys get this concept? And they're like, oh, well, we have this Bible. We call it the Bible. It's on total quality assurance. And the irony is that it was written by the, by the, by the uh, grand, uh, let's see if I get this right, the grandson of uh, Henry Ford, Right but Ford company had actually gotten away from it. And so they didn't, you know, they didn't find it again until they went to Japan. So it was kind of an interesting story. It's a, a really good case study. And in case you guys are wondering, I, I definitely got an A. So enough about that. <laughs> it was an F that was made into an A, right? And you just took the little yeah. line. Off. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. But well, human endeavors. So uh, just a quick recap. So mission prep, you're gonna hear some uh, similarities that came out here, which was uh, getting the, the overall mission of an ops order or an air tasking order or a frag order. So everyone's clear on the overall. Uh, matching assets to tasks, getting a comms plan, uh, getting comms in with, with the customer at the lowest level possible, informal meetings in the lead up, et cetera. And when you've got a team who are already at, at the the top level you can hear here we've had a real focus all three of us on contingencies on actions on uh, attack stop uh, a, a backup plan and i think a lot of that is going to resonate hopefully out there with the teams we're talking to with this organization's uh, business sporting world we're not talking about training people up from basics we're talking about you've got training qualified professionals here the stuff that where are you going to focus your aim so Clarity around the mission and goal and a whole lot of clarity around contingencies. How do we deal with these routine breakdowns and having a plan ready to go that everyone's familiar with? All right. So from uh, Raf, Mike, and Nolan, all the best to you guys. Uh, we've been getting some good questions in. Send in questions. If you guys want us to cover a topic, we'd love to hear from you guys on the uh, feedback we're getting on, on the different social media platforms or on the email. So not your average Paul, not your average Mike 77, and not your average Raf at Gmail. And until we see you next time, stay safe, stay focused. All the best.